The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid any longer, little flock, for your Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your belongings and give alms. Provide money bags for yourselves that do not wear out, and an inexhaustible treasure in heaven that no thief can reach nor moth destroy. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Gird your loins and light your lamps, and be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding, ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds vigilant on his arrival. Amen, I say to you, he will gird himself, have them recline at table, and proceed to wait on them. And should he come in the second or third watch and find them prepared in this way, blessed are those servants. Be sure of this, if the master of the house had known the hour when the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. Then Peter said, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, Who then is the faithful and prudent steward, whom the master will put in charge of his servants to distribute the food allowance at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master on arrival finds doing so. Truly I say to you, the master will put the servant in charge of all his property. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants to eat and drink and get drunk, then that servant's master will come on an unexpected day and at an unknown hour, and will punish the servant severely and assign him a place with the unfaithful. That servant who knew his master's will but did not make preparations nor act in accord with his will shall be beaten severely. And the servant who is ignorant of his master's will but acted in a way deserving of a severe beating shall be beaten only lightly. Much will be required of the person entrusted with much, and still more will be demanded of the person entrusted with more. The Gospel of the Lord. Those closing words of the gospel are something that I take very seriously and that I pray with often, uh, especially in regards to my role uh, as pastor of our parish, uh, that those who are entrusted with much, uh, much will be required, and those who are entrusted with more, even more will be demanded. Uh, and so uh, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want y'all to go to hell. So I take it pretty seriously because we know not the day when the Lord comes. And so, it's with uh, much prayer, much discernment in my heart that I continue to try to listen to the voice of the Lord, and where is He calling us as a community uh, to continue to grow in that faith that we heard of in the letter to the Hebrews? Faith is an incredibly important thing for us as Christians, because it has power. We can hear of how that litany of faith is seen uh, in the letter speaking about our ancient ancestors. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It seems a litany of faith of the ways in which our ancestors have trusted in our God and in the promises that he made to them. Even to the point of absurdity. Who Abraham, even though he was as good as dead, love that scripture reference there, 
He was as good as dead. And yet, life came forth from him. One who should not have been able to bring forth life brought forth a son, the son who became a nation of people, the people of Israel, all because of faith, the power of faith. The Lord Jesus says, even if we have the faith the size of a mustard seed, we can say to this mountain, get up and be cast into the sea and it will go. I'm firmly convinced Louisiana has great faith because we don't have any more mountains. But it's the Lord who comes and invites us to have faith, to trust in Him. As I stand here today, I invite you to trust in me as well. To have faith in the Lord as I invite you to journey with Him in a little bit of a different way. I use that simply to say that uh, beginning next weekend... I would like to begin something a little bit different at the parish, and that's the manner in which we distribute Holy Communion. Now, don't freak out. We're not going crazy. So before, you, before anybody gets crazy ideas, it's not that crazy. First thing is that, one, it may be actually quicker, which everybody's a fan of Mass being a little bit quicker, I know. So we can add that to a list of positives that may be present But what will be taking place is that I'll be distributing communion uh, by myself in the center. Rather than having two ministers come forward uh, and having one for each side, uh, I'll have just myself distributing Holy Communion uh, in the center of the the Holy Body of our Lord. Uh, We'll still have the chalices on the side for each each side to be able to go forth and to receive from the chalice as well. And the reasoning is, uh, is, is several things, one of them. Uh, being that the directives from the church on uh, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, it says that such ministers should be used uh, in case of a large number of people present. And unfortunately, we don't really have a large number of people present. Maybe one day, right? Faith can accomplish these things. But at the current time, it doesn't seem that we kind of fit what it is that the church desires uh, as the large number for extraordinary ministers. But also the second thing is to be able to highlight the fact that, uh, as you well know, I have my spot and you have your spot. Uh, I'm always on this side and I don't, receive, I don't distribute communion to those who are on the left side of the chapel here. Uh, at St. Anne, I don't distribute to those who are on the right side of the church, uh, at least from my perspective, it's backwards from yours. Uh, and so there's been that, uh, that, that desire in my heart to be able to distribute Holy Communion to the entire community who has gathered here. Uh, and so that's one of the ways which I can help to be able to do so. Another reason that I would like to do that um, is the thing where I may invite you to make a little step of faith if you're unsure. And it's because what I would like to do is I would like to uh, bring uh, here at St. Vincent two kneelers in the center aisle uh, for distribution of Holy Communion. So to take one of the the little prayer do over here in front of Our Lady and to get another one that we have as well. And to bring those here uh, so as to permit uh, coming forward to receive Holy Communion kneeling. And so uh, before you ask why... Uh, we're going to get in a little time machine and travel back. So if anybody likes history lessons, uh, this may be your thing. This may be your homily. So we're going to travel back 3,200 years approximately. 3,200 years. The people of Israel have gone out. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they've gone out and, they've, and they, they're experiencing the Lord. They're experiencing His grace. But the people were called forth from, the, uh, from Egypt, from their slavery, and they wandered in the desert. They were led by Moses. And Moses was called by God up upon the mountain where Moses was given by God directions on a dwelling place. Moses was given great detail of what exactly it should look like. It's rather fascinating, even down to the color of the thread that was to be used for the curtains and the tent. It was the dwelling place of God, but it was a temporary place because the people were moving every week, it seemed. For 40 years, they were in the desert. They weren't looking to stay in the desert. Nobody was, nobody was trying to stay there. They were trying to get to the promised land. And so it was a temporary dwelling place that could be set up and taken down as needed, and the Lord would lead them along the way. So he set up this place of what it should look like. And they finally got to the promised land after the 40 years in the desert. And then they went and they lived and they set up their kingdom. Jerusalem became the center of that place, the great city. And after a couple of hundred years of being there, King David, looking around, he realized, all this time I've been living in this beautiful home and the Lord is still dwelling in this temporary tent. I need to build a house for God. I need to build a dwelling place that's permanent, that shows the glory of our God. But the Lord came to him through the prophet and said, not you, but your son. And so his son built the temple, Solomon. And it was a magnificent temple. Something that people came from all over the world to behold. One of the great wonders. And it was interesting in its design. Because what happened with the temple... As you, they had gates to be able to come in. It was, a, it was a, a, a huge place. And so they had gates to be able to come in. And the, there was an, a large open court in which the people of God would gather to be able to offer their praise and worship to God. Beyond that court, there was a smaller section, a, 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 walled, off, a walled off room that was the sanctuary. Wherein there was an altar for the offerings uh, where they had the bread of the presence, a special bread that the priests prayed over each week to remind them of the presence of God with them. They had a table for the bread. They had wine uh, that would be poured out before the Lord. They had candles and incense and all sorts of things. But even inside of that room, so that room was where the priests ministered and they did their, they did their, their weekly and daily labors. But inside of that room, there was another place, the Holy of Holies, where one priest, one time a year, entered the room before God. They saw that as, as the room where God dwelt, his dwelling place on earth. And so it was a place of great importance. So important was it that as the priest started to reflect on the reality that only one man goes in only once a year, what happens if he dies in there? We have to wait till next year to get him out. And so they started to tie ropes around the feet of the priest who would enter when they would go. And if the priest was in there too long and they didn't feel any movement, they figured he died. They could just pull him back out. So the practicality of the Jewish faith. But it was a special place, this dwelling place of God. And as I describe it, it should sound vaguely familiar because the temple then is exactly the same as we sit in today. This temple here, St. Vincent. In a very real way, we celebrate the same general structure. We have the door, the gate, through which the people of God are gathered. Thankfully, we have pews now. They used to have to just stand, sit, or kneel the entire time. Thanks be to God for pews, right? 
And so they come, and the people of God are gathered here to worship before the Lord. And we have the sanctuary wherein the priestly ministry takes place, where the bread of the presence comes, and candles are burned, and they labor, remindful of the dwelling place of God. And within the sanctuary, there's that one special place where the one high priest lives, the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God even more so than they had in the Old Testament. He is here with us, right here. I bring that up because that's what the Jewish people worshipped. That was their experience of God for a thousand years. That's what the Jewish people lived. They lived a worship that was imminently transcendent. That mystery of God. The disciples, whenever they were given the mission to go out and to preach to all nations and baptize and to bring people to eternal life, they did so as good Jewish men. They didn't see themselves as beginning something entirely new. They saw themselves as the fulfillment of their Jewish faith, the Christ that the Jewish people had been waiting for. He finally came, the Lord, Jesus. And he came and he sent them out to go. They couldn't build exactly the, 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 the dwellings that, that we have today because of persecutions. It was illegal. It was, it was a, a, a condemnable offense to be a Christian in most places. But the Jewishness of the liturgy, both in its form and in its architecture, continued to survive within the hearts of the disciples. For generations, they carried it in their heart. And as churches began to be built, they began to be built in the same form as the temple. Those three places... The place of the, of the people of God gathered here. The universal priesthood as we call it in the church. The ordained ministry, the ordained priest that happens in here. All pointing towards the high priest Jesus in the tabernacle. In the original times, there was a wall built just like the Jewish temple around the sanctuary. It was a full wall. If you ever go to an Eastern Rite church, Orthodox church, it's called an iconostasis. And they're usually still there. If you go to Eastern churches, they have a door on the left, a door on the right, and they have a door in the center. And when it comes time for things to happen, they shut the doors, and the priest does their thing. You hear them chanting, you hear them singing, you hear incense come out, and then they come out, they proclaim a reading, they go back, and they shut the doors again, and they come back, and they open the doors, and ta-da, the Eucharist. Come and receive. And the church recognizes the beauty of that because it highlights the mystery of what takes place. The great mystery of our God who comes to us. In the form of the Eucharist. But the Roman church, we decided that we wanted something a little bit more. We wanted to to let the the mystery be seen a bit more. And so altars were built where it wasn't a, a full wall. It was curtains that were only pulled at certain times. And so the curtains were made to be able to be much like the temple as well. But from there, even the curtains were taken down. And it began to continue to evolve as we desired for the mystery to be unveiled. And it came and it evolved up to the point that the church decided to mark off the, uh, the, the place of the sanctuary with a communion rail. Many of you have used it in the past. They have them in, still in, in various churches and other places. And that's the place where the Lord invited us to come and to meet him. 
There was never a call in the, in the Vatican Council to get rid of communion rails. There was never a call for that at all. It was never even mentioned. It was just something that just kind of happened practically with the, the a spirit of, 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 of renewal and revival. Uh, so many things were taken out and lost, one of them being the rail. I say that because it's an important place for us to pause and to reflect. So many of them who, who were happy to see the rail go saw it as a place of separation, of, of separating the priest from the people, as if the priest was a better person. I guarantee you, I'm not. <laughs> I'm fully aware that most of you who are sitting in the pews are of greater holiness than me, believe it or not. It's the place where we meet God. That's what the rail was. Have you ever noticed, uh, I, I've seen from the, from the pictures at St. Anne, from other churches where I've served, almost every time the rail, by its architecture and design, mimics that of the altar. They look the same. And it was intentional. Not just because it, it was pretty and it seemed easy and well, we already had that format so we might as well keep it. No. It was a very real understanding that the rail was an extension of the altar. That our God comes to us. It's not enough that, 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 that we have to always go to Him. It's that He too comes to us. Remember the story of the prodigal son. Of how the father was looking out and waiting for the moment that he would see his son. And he was looking in the distance and when he saw him he ran to him. And that's what our God does with us. He runs to us. Because He delights in us. He wants to be with us. And it's an awareness of that God who is so infinite in His majesty, but humble in His love. It's He whom we come to serve. And for that purpose, the understanding was that we would kneel. One would come to the rail, to the place of encounter with God, and kneel in awe of this infinite God who comes to me. He comes to me. He comes to you. It was that, it was the purpose. A humility of recognizing how incredible it is to be so powerfully loved by our God. And that's why I would like to bring a couple of kneelers in the center. To be in awe of the mystery. To be filled with His love so that we can go forth and to share it even more fully. To allow that humility of our heart to increase that our faith might increase. That we might ultimately be heirs of the promised land that is to come, heaven, just like our ancestors. They looked forward. They never received it, the letter says. They didn't receive it, but they saw it in the distance, and they knew it was coming. And they rejoiced. Even though they didn't receive it in this life, they received it in the next. What joy for us to have it able even to receive here and now. An encounter with our God that our ancient brothers and sisters longed for. They would have done anything to receive Holy Communion just once. And we get it every weekend, every day. What joy. What joy. Practically speaking, I'd like to cover another couple of points. So I'll come out of the clouds and I'll come back down to the earth. Practically speaking, Recall that the things are not bolted to the ground. 
So if you, uh, if you choose to come forward and to, and to kneel uh, at, the, at the kneeler, at the pray it's to be able to, uh, to remember whenever you get up to push up, not out. Because if you push up, you'll get up. And it's got four legs to stand. If you push out, you'll fall back. It'll fall forward. It'll hit me and I'll fall forward backwards and Jesus will fall everywhere. So... I remind you, please, to push up if you choose to use the kneelers as you do so. Uh, and also just to, to, be mindful of, to be mindful of your step and your placement and everything. Uh, and also that, that as we come forward, again, there will be, there'll be two side by side. Uh, that as you come forward, we don't have to, to merge into one line. Uh, each person is invited simply to come forward. If you want to kneel, you're welcome to do so. If you want to stand, you're welcome to do so. But simply to, to come forward in two straight lines, it's the job of the priest to move from side to side, not for the people to have to try to merge uh, and to try to, 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 to fit into place, in a sense. Um, so just the, the, practical, the practical nature of it, too, uh, is important for us to remember that it might be uh, smooth and beneficial and not, <laughs> not an occasion of, of sprained ankles and broken bones. Uh, but again is to recognize the gift of faith that Christ calls to us. Our ancestors had faith, great faith. And what better example should we be able to give to the world for ourselves today? That we have our God right here. And so we pray through the intercession of some of those great saints who had a, a profound devotion to the Eucharist. St. Peter, Julian A. Mard, the champion of the Blessed Sacrament, who uh, uh, referred to last weekend, as well as St. John Paul II, who in our own day has shown us the great gift in so many ways, in word and in deed of the Eucharist for our life, uh, as well as through our intercessors, uh, our angels and saints who are watching over us, St. Anne, St. Vincent, and our guardian angels. That by the prayer of our hearts, we might come to that deeper faith, that we might be able to look forward to the things that are to come as we rejoice in the graces and the gifts that God gives to us here and now.